0: Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can take today to uh, take your leadership to a next level. And now we're exclusively, Michael, a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University.
1: And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU chief of staff.
0: And I'm real excited today to introduce our guest for today's show, Hal Donaldson. Hal is president of Convoy of Hope, a faith-based nonprofit organization that leads humanitarian initiatives across the U.S. and literally around the world. World. Also, a published author, an award-winning journalist, and speaker. So it's just great how to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, it's great to be with you, Ken. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Yeah, you know, I, we've been looking forward to this conversation, uh, especially to focus on compassion ministry through global efforts. And, and I know Convoy of Hope has helped. Wow, more than 160 million people throughout the world by sharing food, water, emergency supplies with impoverished populations. How for our listeners who might not be familiar with Convoy of Hope, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your mission uh, and what the organization's current focus is? How did, how did starting Convoy of Hope back in, I think it was 1994, impact you, your family's life? Uh, what,
2: what it's, what's it all about? Yeah, thank you for the question. You know, I I think uh, growing up in the church, I I was always taught that my job was to connect the world to the church. Mm. And as I, I guess, entered into adulthood, I began to realize that maybe my calling and the calling of Convoy of Hope was to connect the church to the world. And so that's one of the things that we have been doing is really mobilizing the church to meet physical and spiritual needs, both across the United States and around the world. Um, and so you know, Convoy of Hope really has a number of pillars. We do a lot of uh, children's feeding, feed 387,000 children every day in countries around the world. Uh, thousands of mothers are receiving jobs training. So they can feed their own kids Uh, we also have an initiative an agricultural initiative where we're training farmers and families how to grow their own food Uh, in the united states we're responding to disasters really all over the world but in the united states we also have community uh, outreaches and i know many of the people that are connected to southeastern have participated in those community outreaches all over the country
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what does it mean to you to provide leadership in a crisis situation? I think this is kind of a unique thing where often, you know, Convoy is kind of the first on the scene, first uh, with a lot of these different disasters. How, how do you guys think about providing leadership in those situations?
2: Yeah, thanks, Michael. You know, the, the, the issue is really churches want to do something. They have a heart for doing something, but they don't necessarily know what to do. Uh, Maybe they haven't received training. Mm. And so Convoy of Hope through the years has developed uh, some great relationships with FEMA, emergency management, uh, state by state, uh, by responding to so many disasters. And so whereas many of the disasters are cordoned off and they're not going to allow organizations or people to walk off the streets and walk into a disaster zone, Convoy of Hope has entree. Uh, our trucks are escorted into a disaster zone by police officers, if you will. And so, one of the things that Conway of Hope has done is we have really opened the door so that the church can respond. Wow! And uh, wow. that's where our leadership comes in. And through years and years of experience, we've learned best practices, sure. learned what to do and what not to
0: do. Yeah, and in speaking of best practices, now I know one of your projects included providing relief to India uh, when COVID nineteen spiked uh, in the summer of. 2021 here. Uh, Another project included providing disaster relief to uh, St. Vincent Island after a volcano erupted earlier this year and, and displaced thousands of individuals. What strategies have you and your team found most effective in working with other countries where, you know, health and safety is significantly at risk?
2: Yeah, the first thing is you have to have a track record. Mm. Uh, you have to, people have to be able to check you out, governments have to check check you out and be able to see that you know what you're doing and that you have vast experience. And, um, you know, for Convoy, again, we're trying to connect through churches, uh, regardless of where the disaster occurs. We're wanting to find churches that we can work with because Convoy of Hope will be there for months and maybe in some cases a few years. But after we're gone, the church remains. And we want to make sure that the church is exalted and the name of Jesus is lifted up, not just Convoy of Hope. And so, uh, one of the things that will happen when there's a major disaster really anywhere in the world is we ask the question, is there a church, is there a missionary that we can work through? No,
1: that's good. And so, how do you, when you're working with these missionaries in these churches, what are the steps you determine to figure out? what to prioritize? What's, what's the first thing that needs to be done to, be, to provide relief in these areas?
2: Well, the first thing you ask in terms of really identifying the right partner or partners is um, do they have staying power? Mm. You know, are they willing to really uh, move beyond the immediate relief to the recovery period? Yeah. And, uh, and in, in Convoy's case, we've been very fortunate to work with churches of various denominations and find those kind of partners that are willing to ride with us for several years until people get back on, on their feet. Um, one of the things that you do is you, you make sure that you're providing for the immediate needs. And that typically will be water, food, and medicine, mm. um, and in some cases, even shelter. So um, Convoy of Hope has learned to come in big, not small. Uh, we come in with fast resources. We've done everything from use uh, using uh, cruise lines to uh, helicopters, airplanes, uh, whatever we need to do to get the supplies in very quickly.
0: You know, a lot of uh, individuals who start working with nonprofits can find it very challenging to plan and, and and fundraise in the beginning. A lot of these issues can be disheartening and cause people to kind of lose motivation. Convoy of Hope has been extremely successful in helping people for well over 25 years. What helped you get uh, over the beginning setbacks and trials with when, when the organization first started and, and all the mechanics that are involved in, in being effective as an organization?
2: Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, in the early days, it was just, it was very discouraging. Uh, there were times that we wanted to give up, and uh, this is where um, the miracles take place. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that when your mission is right, that both hardship and miracles will follow. And it's it's you're going to have hardship, but the miracles will follow because the miracles are God's answer to hardship. Mm-hmm. And I think in the early days, we learned that. And we had to trust God to provide because we didn't know what we were doing in the way of fundraising. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a clue. And so God had to step in. And and I think as an organization, we became very reliant on Him Mm -hmm. to do the impossible. But one of the things that we learned, I I think it's a a basic leadership principle, is that we are not arm twisters. Mm -hmm. We don't don't twist people's arms to give. Um, We befriend people and we present needs. Uh, But it's them, we trust them to hear from God and to make the the decision whether to give or not. And I think that principle has really carried with us all these years.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and one of the things I love about Convoy of Hope in particular is you guys are fantastic working with different churches and organizations, even working uh, with you here at Southeastern. You guys are fantastic at communicating the vision, getting people to buy into that, be a part of that, realizing, hey, even though I'm a small part, I can get into that. What are the key principles, what are some of the things that you have found successful in transmitting a vision, getting s- these other organizations, these churches, to to kind of buy into what you guys are seeing as the need that needs to be satisfied?
2: You know, I think as leaders, too, we uh, we earn trust, but we can also earn distrust. Yeah. And so, um, and you can also work on building an image, or you can earn a reputation. Wow. Yeah, and, and in our case, we said early on, let's earn a really solid reputation. Yeah. And that reputation should be for doing what we say we're going to do, under-promising and over-delivering, and operating at the highest level of integrity. Mm-hmm. So much so that if the, uh, the media walks in this door or the uh, IRS walks in this door, mm-hmm. you have nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that level of integrity, I believe, that really breeds um, trust. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, Convoy of Hope is, has had a high level of trust. And that's translated into significant donations through the years.
1: Absolutely. But, you know, oftentimes, even with your leadership, you may make unintentional mistakes, right, when you're working with people. So how do you keep building that trust with somebody, even through when, man, this didn't work right the way that we thought it was going to? How do you keep building it through those situations?
2: Transparency, honest uh, conversation, admitting your mistakes, uh, doing everything you can to uh, correct your mistakes, You know, at Convoy of Hope, we have learned from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. If we've done anything right, Michael, Mm -hmm. it's we've learned from mistakes and said, let's not do that again. Let's do it better. Um, And not being afraid of that. I I do think that in terms of donors, whether it's a corporation or a church or an individual that's giving you large amounts of money, there's nothing wrong with sitting down with them and saying, listen, this did not pan out the way that we hoped it would, and, but next time we're going to do it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I think what people are looking for today, they're looking for believability. Yeah. Both in their churches, in their schools, in their ministries like Convoy of Hope, they're looking for believability, people they can trust.
0: Yeah, um, I want to change, of course, a little bit in in, in our conversation. I mean, you're a tremendous leader uh, as an individual with with a background, um, you know, in, in journalism and biblical studies. So so much. What what unique communication skills have helped contribute to your leadership and to your involvement? um in the global having a global impact your involvement in the christian community how and also how did your educational experience prepare you for your calling or what we like to call around here divine design uh the way yeah. god made you wired you and created you
2: yeah you know uh ken i really have to go back to my childhood you know having um when people ask, "Well, when did convoy of Hope start?" I, I I usually say, "Well, 1969. Ah, um, yeah. There was no corporation, but that's when my my father was hit by a drunken driver and killed, mm. and our family didn't have insurance, and we had to go on welfare. Ah. So throughout my teen years, my family was uh, a welfare family. You know, I I experienced the shame of poverty. <laughs> I also experienced the power of kindness, yeah. and um, it was that upbringing, I believe, that really showed me the power of kindness and, and compassion. So I think that laid the foundation, sure. if you will, for a Convoy of Hope. Uh, my, you know, my education, uh, I, always, I really always wanted to change the world. Yeah. I didn't like the fact that I was raised poor. Um, yeah. And when you are poor, you begin a quest not to be poor anymore. Yeah. And that was certainly my quest. I went to the university for one reason, and I wanted to change the world. Um, And I thought maybe through journalism, reporting and editing was the way to do that. And, um, you know, that I I think that lasted maybe about a few years into uh, that vocation. And I saw that I wasn't about to change the world through this. I Mm -hmm. was just really kind of serving as a watchdog. And, um, you know, I began writing books. Uh, One of those book projects took me to Calcutta, India to write a book for... uh, famed missionaries, Mark and Huldah Buntain, right. yeah. and um, that experience was just life-changing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll sum it up with this. I think, uh, you know, I, I sat down to interview Mother Teresa. Uh, the Buntains had set up the interview, and in the course of the interview, Mother Teresa, she just said, young man, um, what are you doing to help the poor and the suffering? Wow! And um, I, you know, I figured it was probably not a good idea to lie to her. I told her the truth, right? (laughs) I said, I'm really not doing much of anything. Because again, when you've been raised poor, your quest is not to be poor anymore. And it's all about filling your bank accounts and not going back to poverty. And that was my quest in my Mm. late 20s. And um, I told her, I said, um, Mother Teresa, uh, you know, I'm really not doing much of anything for the poor. And she replied, well, everyone can do something. Wow. Um, those words were life-changing for me. They were haunting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I came back to the States, and um, I did something quite unusual. I, um, I felt like God was telling me to go to eight cities and to live in the streets for three days and three nights. Mm-hmm. I went to Miami, Atlanta, Chicago, D.C., New York, major cities. Lived in the streets. Interviewed drug addicts, gang members, prostitutes, runaways. I rode with the police on the midnight shift. Wow! And all I can tell you is that broke my heart. That was the education I needed. That's Mm -hmm. what I needed to see. And I came back 27 years ago, and I loaded up a pickup truck with groceries, started passing them out to the poor Mm -hmm. and suffering. And that was the beginning of Convoy Hope.
1: Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. You know, we... Uh, helping the poor and trying to eliminate poverty and and that compassion is such a defining uh, feature of kind of this, our current generation, our current context. Everybody wants to be a part of solving this problem, um, not just peripherally, but actively, you know, in all the different pieces. But there's a lot of different conflicting ways on how do we help the poor? How can we have a productive conversation on on compassion, on charity, in a way that actually solves this problem? while busting through some of the rhetoric on that.
2: Yeah, I think I think first we have to get past the paralyzation that's often caused by the magnitude of the need. Right. Okay. So we see this global poverty and it freaks us out. Yeah. We say, well we can't solve a global hunger. Well, if you look at scriptures, Jesus didn't ask us to solve world hunger. He asked us to feed the person in front of us. Wow! And I think what what really needs to happen today, especially for young people, they need to have small vision rather than tall vision. Small vision is just doing what Jesus puts in front of you. And that's really been the quest of my life. It's that pickup truck filled with groceries was just doing the next kind thing Mm -hmm. that Jesus put in front of me. And I believe that vision is incremental. Mm-hmm. I believe it's for me at least, I don't see the grand vision. I see incremental vision. Absolutely. God shows the next step, I'm obedient to that step, and then he'll show me the next. Right. Um, I think that's how you solve world hunger is um, each one of us just doing the next kind thing, right. because Jesus wants to solve world hunger more than we do, right? He wants right. to help the poor and the suffering more than we do. Yeah. He's just looking for people who will raise their hand and say, I'll try
0: right right and and everything you you just described is actually we're we're in partnership with you here at Southeastern University providing a, a degree program in those very very things that you just Thank talked you. about and and developing our compassion and our care with what's right in front of us and uh it's powerful and uh, we have a lot of students that are excited and and are a part of that uh, that you. program you know juggling um responsibilities, both internationally and remotely can, you know, be difficult for anyone. What has been uh, the most challenging part of leading a nonprofit uh, and being a family man at the same, same time? Uh, of course, as a husband and father of four, you've had to learn how to balance work and home life during ministry. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Kent. Uh, that is the biggest challenge. Um, you know, God, God's given Convoy of Hope a big heart for the world. And uh, the requests come in not daily, they come in hourly mm-hmm. from all over the world. And, you know, you want to meet them all. Um, and you want to do all you can to meet needs and to mobilize the church, resource the church to meet needs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet, uh, it's easy to forget that your number one congregation is your family. Wow. It's your wife, in my case. And um, you know, I think that has been the challenge. Uh, fortunately, my children are, they all serve the Lord. We're very close, but that has taken uh, intentionality. Yeah. There are some things that I've done um, that um, that my wife and I have done that I think have helped build a strong family. Uh, we've made mistakes for sure, like every family. But uh, if I could just give you a couple of those examples of things that Absolutely. we've had to do to keep our feet on the ground while we're leading a global organization. One is that at the beginning of the year, you know, we always would make, uh, we'd set aside time for a vacation mm-hmm. and it would be a prolific vacation. Um, you know, this isn't just going to, uh, a mo- uh, I guess, or, uh, a hotel down the road. I'm talking about doing something pretty significant mm-hmm. that my children, my wife could look forward to. And they, they've always known that there's nothing that would get in the way of that vacation. Um, one time I was invited to a small group in the oval office, but it was during my vacation. And I told the president, no, um, you know, it's that kind of priority. They know that nothing will get in the way. It's that kind of priority that we have to place on family. Otherwise they begin to think that you are married to your job more than you are to them.
1: Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And so what, um, what would you say is the is the best part of that. You know, we always talk about the challenges and different things like that. What is it, what has been incredible for you and your family being a part of such a global impact as Convoy of Hope?
2: I was asked this question just recently, what's the most rewarding thing about uh, what you do? And, um, you know, you would think, well, it's about seeing, um, you like seeing the poor given hope and seeing their needs met and seeing people come to Christ and all those things are fantastic. I think one of the great rewards is seeing my children, um, reflect the heart of Christ yeah, and see them reach out to the poor and the suffering. Um, yeah, I can reach the world, but if I don't really, you know, help my children understand the heart of Jesus, I failed. Yeah. So, Uh, That's probably one of the most rewarding aspects of it for me, Uh, raising up four daughters who um, they're ready to carry on when God says it's my time to step off the stage. Mm -hmm. They're ready to carry on.
0: Ah, oh, that's great. Hey, this is uh, I love this conversation. We're gonna gonna move into our fire round and and, and close the conversation again. Want to thank you for your time and investment in this conversation. But we we always with this fire round just ask a few questions around and kind of everything we've just discussed and and we always like that that gut answer that you give quickly. We we want to grab a few practical, applicable pieces of advice from your experiences for our listeners. So, Michael, I'm gonna let you. We have three questions. We'll ask you a real. Quick, Michael, you can begin.
1: Perfect. Okay. So starting off, how can we keep Christ at the center of our ministries and not let that priority change? How do you how do you keep that front and center?
2: Yeah, I think um, again, I'll respond very quickly. I think we to emulate Jesus, sometimes we think we have to be in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to be in a hurry. Sometimes it's just befriending and meeting a physical need. That gives you the opportunity to share people that there's there's hope for eternity as well, but I think uh, many believers feel like they have to be in a hurry. They have to lead with evangelism. Mm-hmm. The truth is Jesus would fail some people's evangelism tests, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. because of how he did it. Right. He 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 really ministered to the whole person, um, not just the spiritual. The whole person. Right. And I think that's what we're trying to do at Convoy of Hope.
0: Yeah. Second question, what is the key to loving others and truly sparking authentic co- connections, not just locally, but globally?
2: People know that people are, are really astute. They know what you're about mm-hmm. and they size you up in a matter of seconds. So if we're authentic, if we're transparent, um, people are going to pick up on that. Um, if you're not transparent, if, there's, if you're after what you can get rather than what you can give, they will pick up on that in a hurry. Yeah. So I think authenticity and transparency are critical to building global relationships.
1: Yeah. Let me ask the last last question, Kenneth. I got obviously, COVID nineteen is here. It's with us. It's a it's a it's a crisis where we as the church are dealing with. But it's going to end. We're going to get through it at some point. What do churches need to be thinking about right now to prepare, as you talked about, for that recovery phase, for that next next thing as we come out of this crisis moment?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I talked about this literally 20 years ago. I talked about this. I think there's coming a day, Michael, where every church is going to have a compassion pastor. Hmm. And I think that's critical for the future, and what you're doing at Southeastern is so critical. You are training up a generation that is going to fill those roles in churches. For churches to be relevant in their community, they're going to have to be meeting physical needs in that community. So, I believe in the future, um, churches are going to be retaining compassion pastors, and I could Hmm. go on and on, but I do believe that that's something that's coming right down the pike faster than perhaps we even realize.
0: Yeah. Well, Hal, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership. I'm, I'm grateful for your life, for your leadership, the influence that you've had on so many around the globe. Grateful for what you've provided today to our listeners in terms of encouragement and, and care. So thank you for joining us today.
2: Oh, it's my honor. And again, I just salute you for the amazing work you're doing at Southeastern. My youngest daughter, I am doing everything in my power to make sure she goes to Southeastern.
0: Oh, that'd be great to have her a part of our community. We'd
1: love it. We love Thank it if you're uh, listening to us or watching us on YouTube right now and you want to stay up to date with Hal and with Convoy of Hope, we really encourage you to check them out. You can follow Hal on Twitter, at Hal Donaldson. You can also follow Convoy of Hope on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also visit their website, convoyofhope.org. Uh, make sure you get connected with them, get connected with what they're doing, um, especially if you want to be on that front end of compassion in this season. And if you are watching us right now on YouTube, now would be a great time to hit that subscribe button, hit that like button button so that you get leadership content directly to you every single day. Uh, you can also check out more leadership content from us at Kent underscore Ingle or Twitter at Kent Ingle. You can also sign up for our newsletter, kentingle.com, uh, so that you can get leadership content right to your inbox every single day. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.